So the title of my message is God is for me. So as our team got the message title, they're like, you know, the God for me, that's not a great title. Like, what does it mean? Because does it mean the God for me? Or does it, does it mean the God for me? I don't know. Which one will it mean? And I said, that's what makes it a great sermon title. Because we don't know. Is it the God for me or the God for me? So maybe you'll find out as the sermon goes on. But this is a Sunday where many churches are focusing on the characteristics of Jesus as a shepherd and why that's important. And I want us to look at these passages and, and keep pointing to Jesus. It's a lot, it's really easy when you start looking at passages about shepherds to start thinking about pastors. And there are truths that we can pull out of that. And, and that will no doubt, you know, will come some during the sermon. But the truth is that um, those of us who are pastors and those of you who are 242 leaders, you're a shepherd too. We are under shepherds under the great shepherd. And so Jesus truly is our example. So John chapter 10, uh, starting with, with verse 11, says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand, since he is not the shepherd and doesn't own the sheep, leaves them and runs away when he sees a wolf coming. The wolf then snatches and scatters them. This happens because he is a hired hand and doesn't care about the sheep. 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father, I lay down my life for my sheep. This is the word of the Lord. So if you've ever rented a car, you understand that there's just a different kind of energy you have in a car rental because, you know, you have a coffee cup or you have one of those straw wrappers and there's just really no motivation to throw it away. I, maybe you're more holy than I am, but it's kind of like, this is a time where I don't have to pick up the trash, right? Because I'm paying, I'm overpaying to rent this car, right? So why in the world? I mean, this is one time that I don't have to clean out the trash because I'm theoretically paying someone else to clean out the trash. Why, why do we treat our rental cars like that? We treat our rental cars casually because we don't own them. Right? There's just something we're using. There's something that we're just, we're just passing through a, a strange city. Or we're getting from point A to point B and we'll never have a relationship with that car again. It's just rented. And so it doesn't matter if there's mud, you know, on, on the floorboard. It doesn't matter if we were driving in such a way to make the engine last long term. Okay, this is kind of turning into another confession time here. But you guys, you guys get it, okay? But when we own a car, we own a car. Then we go to one of those car washes and, and we pay money to do the most undignified thing in life. And that is to vacuum out our cars. I mean, that's like the worst, most undignified thing we can do. But we love our to clean out the car. What's the difference? The difference is renting and owning. And so one of the reasons why a lot of people think home ownership is important is because homeowners may take care of their home in a way that they don't when they rent. And that just increases the value of the neighborhood. And so that's what some people might say or some people might think because that which we own 
we value and we cherish and we invest in and we maintain. So what, the first thing I'm getting out of this message today, you can write it down, you can find it on you version is this, is Jesus claims us. He claims ownership on us. That's why he's the good shepherd. He's a great shepherd. And look at the scripture, verse 12. It says, the hired hand, since he's not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So older versions say the hireling. The hireling, the, the person who is just given a job, they're going to protect the sheep so far until maybe they're threatened or until they, they lose their wages or, or they, they just have decided we've taken this too far. I've given enough. Guys, Jesus, the good shepherd, he claims us. He claims ownership of us and he's going to take you all the way. That's why we don't worship a man, we don't worship a church, we don't worship a denomination, we don't worship a religion, we worship Jesus Christ because there's something very personal about Jesus. When religious leaders disappoint you in the future, and if you're gonna walk with Jesus, you're gonna get disappointed by religious leaders. That's just part of, I think it's part of us learning to love Jesus is that we realize that you know, our pastors, priests, shepherds, Sunday school teachers, small groups cannot fill our needs. They can't. And then they are human beings also. And so their humanity, you know, comes forward. And, and at that point, we can either say, well, hey, I'm done with Christianity or I'm done, I'm done with being involved in church because I can't believe how that person really is. Or we could take another pathway. We could say, hey, there is someone reliable. There is someone who won't disappoint. There is someone who isn't just an under shepherd. He is the great shepherd and he's gonna take care of me. And he's going to owe me, own me, own me. And he's going to treasure me in ways no one else does. That's why the second point I want to bring up today is Jesus nurtures us. He nurtures us. He's a parent. Give me the cat babysitter. All right. A parent or a guardian, a grandparent or a foster parent, a guardian says, no, I am there. I am there for every illness. I'm there for every sickness. I'm there for every behavioral problem. I'm not checking out on this kid because I, I claim them. And because I claim them, I nurture them. I nurture them and I give them my best. Verse 12, the hired hand, since he's not the shepherd and doesn't own the sheep, leaves him and runs away when he sees a wolf coming. The wolf then snatches and scatters them. Verse 13, this happens because he's a hired hand and doesn't care about the sheep. Now, I'll say this, religious leaders, I hope that we, and many of you are religious leaders too, so don't just think this is just talking about the, the, the professionals, whatever that means, or the paid people, but those who, who care for God's people, the under shepherds can reflect the spirit of Jesus, right? And they can operate in the anointing of Jesus. And, and when you're under a good spiritual leader, sometimes you just feel that care and like you feel closer to Jesus because they're reflecting Jesus and they're, they're, they're letting the glory of Jesus flow through their ministry in their life. But a hireling doesn't do that. A person who does it just for personal benefit. You know, one of the things we have to really be, be careful about in Christianity is that we don't serve the shepherds. We, we allow the shepherds to serve us. 
You know, there, there's a, you may not have heard of this, but there's this whole thing in evangelical churches called the culture of honor. And it can just be taken way too far. I can say that because you guys honor me appropriately and I appreciate that. But man, we don't need to take it too far. I mean, I don't need anyone to carry my Bible up for me, right? I don't, I don't need anyone to fold my coat for me. Um, I did ask Bill to bring up the lectionary thing here today. That was only because I wanted to say bye to Holly and Robert, but usually I just carry it up here myself. I mean, it's actually really light, you know? So I guess if anything, it's making me feel impressive, like, oh, here I am carrying this thing, you know? But it's like, like really light and easy to do. My, my point is, I need to get back to my point is, that spiritual leaders, we, we were called to serve the people. And, and if we're not careful, we can get that backwards as if the people are called to serve the, the shepherds. Well, hey, we're only going to serve one shepherd, and that's a great shepherd, Jesus. And we, we love him because he loved us first, right? We love him because he loved us first. So I had a friend of mine who, who years ago um, decided to, to start farming, and I wish he would have farmed sheep because it would have made this story much better. But to give you an authentic story, he started farming goats, okay? So don't think about sheep and goats and what Jesus said about that. Let's just all pretend goats are good things. They have good cheese, you know? When I was in elementary school, I heard that one of our teachers ate goat cheese. We're like, oh, gross, man, cheese, goat cheese. That's crazy. Now, like East Nashville, it's like, give me goat cheese on my burger. On my bison burger, I like goat cheese, you know? So for some reason, goat cheese is in now, right? Sushi's in, kale's in. I heard kale's just the stuff you can find in your backyard. You know, I didn't know that. Sounded, sounded you know, hoity-toity to me. So all that stuff, things change. Well, back to the goats. So my friend decided to, to, to raise goats. And as a city slicker who moved out into the country, he, he chose one goat. One goat. So let's start with one goat. And he said, this goat became like a pet. Like they named it. And they drive up the driveway. The goat would start running to it. They'd pet it. They'd give it special food. They'd give it food scraps from their table. They just love this goat. And so they're like, okay, the, the, the goat thing's going to work out okay. And they, they identified a goat market, and probably the one I just told you about. And so um, they expanded from one goat. He expanded from one goat to like a handful of goats. And when he had a handful of goats, he's like, we still really looked after. We checked their ears to see if they were okay. And we looked at their teeth and we made sure that their, their coat or fur, I don't know what you call that for goats. That, that'll be like a 1045 service. I'll go Google that. What do you call that? But, you know, they're, they're just checking on, making sure those handful of goats were okay. So he told me this story because by this time he had literally dozens of goats and I was standing on his farm and I could see goats all over his property. And he went on to say, because he was a pastor, he said, Aaron, now I have dozens of goats and I don't check on any of them anymore. He said, I just, they're just out there on their own. And, and he told me this story to encourage so I could pass it on to some of our church planters who, who were shepherding 10 people and 20 people. And yeah, like any, anyone, any public speaker, probably they dreamed of, speaking to thousands, but there's something special about caring for those handful. There's something special about that. And it's, it's the shepherd's heart. And no doubt 
those of us, like I get to pastor hundreds and other people, friends of mine pastor thousands and you know, we, we can still have that heart to, to shepherd the people that, that are with us. But we shouldn't demean small churches. Don't belittle small churches. Honor people that are pastoring a handful because they may be shepherding in the heart of Jesus more than those of us who get to speak to hundreds or those who speak to thousands. The heart of Jesus, the good shepherd. In the Old Testament, God spoke to shepherds, not just as what we call clergy today or religious people because there were priests, but shepherds also meant the judges or just meant anyone leading the Jewish people. And I wanna, I wanna share with you a haunting scripture, but that's really important for those of us who wanna care for God's people. Ezekiel chapter 34, starting with verse one. And this is what the prophet Ezekiel said. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. And so before, this is now a broad this is a broad statement here. Shepherds, yes, do include religious leaders, but also include civic leaders contextually here. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to you shepherds of Israel who have been feeding themselves. Shouldn't the shepherds feed the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourself with the wool and slaughter the choice animals but you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally or with cruelty and violence as that scripture says. They were scattered for lack of a shepherd and they became food for all the wild animals when they were scattered. And, and you can read on. I mean, the rest of that chapter speaks about that more. And I just want to say to all of us, like if you're running a business, if you're running a classroom, if you are, you don't have any like given authority, but I promise you some of your clients or your coworkers, even though there's not an organizational chart where you're over someone, you are leading someone. Every single one of you who are watching this, every single one of you who are hearing my voice, you are leading someone. You are influencing someone. Let this scripture remind you, don't just feed yourselves. Don't, don't take the position of leadership or the longevity you have at the company or the ranking you have. Be a way for you to just get your own advantage. Instead, and serve. Give yourself to the people you get to influence. And here's a, no, a novice concept here, novel concept. Let Jesus be the leader. Let Jesus be your example of leadership. I, I mean, some of us, we, we have all of these different frameworks for leadership and we forget Jesus. He is like the perfect one, like no sin the perfect leader, the perfect man. And so we can look to him for all of the leadership we need. Here's what I love about the great shepherd. It's not a job for him because Jesus knows us. Here's the third point. He knows us. Verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own 
and my own know me. This is this beautiful call back to friendship with Jesus. And I'm calling you to friendship with Jesus. You know, a lot of, a lot of our religion is the expression of Christianity. We are so preoccupied with the next life. Like, am I going to make it into heaven? Of course, I believe if you know scripture, you should know you're getting into heaven, but that's a different sermon. Um, I, I believe that what Jesus did for us, I mean, we should have confidence in our future with him. But, we, but we're preoccupied on who's in and who's out. And a lot of us have this basis of satisfaction. Like, if I just know that I'm not going to, going to hell, then I'm okay. You know, I can just enjoy my life and then figure it out in eternity. And what we're missing is the friendship that Jesus keeps calling us to. He keeps calling us to friendship. He calls us to connectivity. He calls us to relationship. He calls us to go deeper with him. I mean, if you look at... The teachings of Jesus in the Gospels. He is continually talking about having friendship and fellowship with his people. And so this, this is what we're called today to. And that's what I'm calling you to, is to this friendship with the Lord. And, and it strongly, we know this from, from reading about shepherding, or for some of you who maybe you've experienced that, we know that the shepherd knows the voice of the sheep, the shepherd. And, and there's repetition and there's closeness. They're close enough to know the voice of the shepherd. And there's enough repetition. And I want you to see that with Jesus. Like if you're close enough to Jesus, you keep showing up. Keep showing up at the places where you can find Jesus. Keep showing up at church services. Keep showing up at scripture reading. Keep showing up on solitude to where you still your heart and just ask for the presence of the Lord. Keep thinking in the presence of God. Now, that's my favorite definition of prayer, to think in the presence of the Lord. So keep praying. Keep just like, Lord, keep inviting the Lord to change your thoughts, to speak to you about a situation. Keep asking Jesus to show up and that repetition and that closeness, then you'll know him and he'll know you. You'll know the voice of the Lord. A lot of us want to know, how can I know God's voice? That, that's, that's a good question. That would have been a better sermon title than, you know, God is for me. How do I know God's voice? Experience. That's how you know God's voice. You keep walking with him. The longer you walk with him, the more you'll recognize his voice. I mean, some of us are like Samuel. Like we, we heard his voice clearly and loudly as children. And we'll, we, we, we heard it clearly and loudly and, and we heard it in a way that the Eli's in our life didn't hear it. And, and that's a beautiful gift God's given you. But God didn't stop speaking to Samuel after that first time. Samuel walked with the Lord when a whole generation turned away from the Lord. When the people of God turned against the Lord and said, we want a king we don't want the voice of the Lord. We want a king, Samuel, because he heard God's voice as a child and kept close to God and kept that repetition. Then he knew the voice of the Lord. Jesus is more concerned about our friendship than he is our eternal destiny. I was like, what? What does that mean, huh? Because he wants eternity to start now. He wants eternity to start now. He wants eternity to start in your hearts now. He didn't want you to wait until 
you're in the next life. He wants to have friendship with you now. Here's my last point today. Jesus laid down, lays down his life for us. That's what a good shepherd does. A good shepherd doesn't take off in tough times. A good shepherd doesn't shrink in adversity. A good shepherd doesn't try to preserve himself. Jesus gives himself. And that's what Jesus did for the condition called sin. We were bound by sin. We inherited sin through our sinful nature. And Jesus gave his life so that he could become the sin. He could take upon the sin in the eyes of God so that we would be justified. And verse, this passage that we read today, both verse 11 and verse 15, both say the same thing. So I kind of talked to you about what was in the middle of these two passages, but let's read, read them again. Verse 11 says this, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And then I already explained to you verse 12 through, 13, through 14. Now let's look at 15 again. 15 says this, just as a father knows me and I know the father, I lay down my life for the sheep. I lay down my life for the sheep. This is what the Lord does for us. And that's why when we celebrate with JT today, and I want to be clear about something Pastor Josh said, next week we're having water baptisms. So when you sign up for water baptisms, it's not like some mythical date out in the future. Like we're keeping the tank, the baptistry up this week. And I, I, just, I, just, I just want to say this. I don't want you to hear this with love. Some of you need to get baptized. And I just want, I just want you to hear that with love. And we, 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 we have... We have, we have Try it every different way, different way, but there is a resistance in your heart that's not of the Lord. It's not of the Lord. If you have a phobia about getting in the water in front of people, I'm not laughing about this. This is a, this is a thing. Let me know and we can, we can do a Baptist, we can, we can baptize you in a smaller setting. But, but this is going to release an anointing in your life. It's that, it's that wedding ring thing that Josh said. The commitment's already there, so I'm not trying to get you to doubt your salvation. I'm trying you to step into your obedience. Come on, step into it. I mean, Satan's wanting to just keep that marking out of your life. Can I tell you what water baptism did for me? And I got baptized really young, but I just remember it as clear as, as, clear as I can see you right now. I can remember my baptism at a very young age. And when the accuser of the brethren, Satan says, like, are you really saved? I mean, do, do, are you really into Jesus? Are you really walking into faith? That's one of the things I can remember that day. It marks you with that day. And so it is, Jesus laid down his life for us. Now I'll close with this scripture, 1 John three sixteen. This is how we've come to know love. This, that's an important statement. This is how we've come to know love. He, Jesus, laid down his life for us. Now look at this call. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Hey, that's what we're called to do. I want to invite our kids to come in because we're going to start to move towards our celebration with JT. This is the call. And I, 
as the kids are getting situated, I'll, I'll, I'll continue this message. I want to say this is that the way you treat other Christians is a great indication of how, of how Jesus has changed your life. Because that passage said at the end of 1 John 3, 16, it says, we should lay down our lives for our, what? Our brothers and sisters. Because the Lord knows this, if we're not willing to lay down our lives for other Christians, then how can we show Christ to the world? And I want to tell you that the way, the way that the enemy's trying to divide Christians right now is a new way. And he's giving us a disdain for other Christians. And I think it's dangerous. I think it's dangerous because I think that the scripture says, according to 1 John 3.16, that we ought to be able to actually give our lives for other brothers and sisters. Because if we can't give our lives for other Christians who get on our nerves or who irritate us or who we disagree with, if we can't give our lives for them, then how, how can we show the God who's given his life for this, those who are rebellious and those who are sinful and those who um, you know, have resisted God overtly? Yeah, he's called us to give our lives to them for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Well, one of the things that we do is we, we recite the Apostles' Creed. Are the kids going to stay in the back today or are they going to come on up? Come on up, kids. We want, we, I mean, we want our kids to get the front row view as they support JT. You know, Christians from the first century, really, from the earliest writings of Christianity have been saying some form of what we call the Apostles' Creed. And the Apostles' Creed is a summary of our faith. It summarizes scripture and it summarizes the doctrines of the church that have been collectively established. And so today, when JT gets baptized, yes, it's his personal decision, but he's also getting baptized into the church of all people at all times who have served the Lord. All people of all times who have served the Lord and we're like, we're part of this church. And so most of you have been baptized. I know not all of you have because the Holy Spirit told me some of you needed to. <laughs> I mean, I could probably figure that out statistically, you know, but, but I mean, the Holy Spirit was like, tell them, tell them, man, land the plane on this thing, you know? And uh, so we know that when we say the Apostles' Creed together momentarily, um, JT will be saying it, the kids will be saying it, but for those of us who have been baptized, we're also saying it. It's a way for us to reaffirm our baptism, to say that when we were baptized, we said not like, hey, oh, we, li- we just like Jesus, or, or we're just trying to make our parents happy, or we're trying to, you know, follow a cultural trend. No, we're saying we believe with God's people who have existed in all times and all places that we believe certain things about the Son of God and who Jesus is. And so that's a powerful, powerful way to live. So let's now uh, say this Apostles' Creed together. We believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, 
born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the life ever, well, the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen.